Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of Positions Net. I'm your host, Grant Peters, the founder of Auto Racing Analytics. Joining me again this week, we have Ben Amato, a mechanical engineering student and Legends car driver. Ben, what'd you think about that Bristol dirt race this weekend, finally going to a dirt racing specialist? Yeah, I thought it was a really entertaining race. Uh, definitely looked like it was challenging the drivers out there. Saw a lot, saw a lot of guys kind of losing it on their own and stuff. Um, you know, eventually you see the the top guys, top dirt guys kind of rise to the top, uh, which was kind of cool to see. Um, for me, it was probably the best one of the three that we've had so far. So, yeah, I thought it was a really good race. Yeah, I agree. I really, really enjoyed this race. Um, I love the cup cars racing on dirt. I think it's really fun. Um, I think that there's a lot of improvements that can still be had. And we mentioned those last week, you know, that they can make a few tweaks to the cars. And I think that it would just be better if we did more of them as to not have it be such a novelty. But just this one week, man, it was it was really fun. Uh and I, I want to address something that was kind of talked about this week by Denny Hamlin in that he noticed one green flag pass to the lead. And I don't have it in front of me on if that's true or not. But regardless, I want to take a stance here in that regardless of how many passes for the lead there is, doesn't indicate whether that was a good race or not. Because this weekend, we had a lot of really good battles, even at the front of the field, even when the lead wasn't being swapped like crazy. Man, there was just good battles near the front of the field. Got it was it was hard to pass, but it was certainly possible. And guys were having to you could run all the lanes. Personally, I prefer a track that's a little bit highline dominant. I think this one for the most part was, unless your name is Austin Dillon. I, I don't see how this race could have been much better. Yeah, no, and I mean, like you said, I don't I don't like it when uh people try to pull statistics like passes for the lead or even you know, green flag passes, anything like that to try to justify how good or bad a race was because those numbers just, like, pulled out of context don't really tell much of anything about the story. I mean, the 550 package used to produce tons of um, green flag lead changes. That was Steve O'Donnell used to always cite that on Twitter. Um, when he'd get tweets about people complaining about the package, he'd be like, well, Look at this loop data, you know, green flag passes for the lead. That was the best it's ever been for, you know, a, a Kansas race or whatever, you know, wherever we were. And it's just like, that's, that's, not, that's not really what it's about, right? Like, obviously, you want to see competitive races for the lead. Um, but just taking the raw number of green flag lead changes or green flag passes, that does not tell the story about whether or not it was a good race. I agree. And I really enjoyed this race. I think that... Uh... It was, it was a good challenge for the drivers, and that's something that I really like to see. You could, you could tell that the driver mattered a lot. Mm. Just like a couple weeks back at Coda, you could just see that there were guys making a difference. And I think Richmond just a week ago was the same, you know, uh, in that we've, we've had a lot of races, and it's, it's easy to have those kind of races with this car where you can look at it and just be like, yes that guy behind the wheel is making a big difference right now. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's dig into some of the data from this race. Uh, Chris Bell did have the fastest car per median lap rank. Uh, off of him by 0.19% was Tyler Reddick. And then the third fastest car per median lap, just 0.02 off Reddick, so 0.21% off of Christopher Bell, was Austin Dillon. 
a very impressive run by Austin Dillon this weekend that I did not see coming. Um, it was strange because it didn't seem like that car could make the speed on the top. But Austin Dillon was the only guy, really, that could make significant speed on the bottom for more than a couple corners to make a pass. It was darn impressive. Yeah, I, th- I feel like Austin's kind of flies under the radar when we think about who the dirt guys in the Cup Series are. Um, you know, I think a lot of people kind of tend to forget that him and Ty kind of grew up um, racing on dirt, you know, race dirt late models and when they were like teenagers uh, getting ready to make it to the NASCAR ranks. So they do have a lot of experience racing on dirt. Um, and yeah, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't too surprised to see him run well. I think he ran maybe a little bit better than I thought he would. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I know I definitely had him on my fantasy team. Um, he was a good, to me, he was like a, you know, a good value pick for Bristol dirt, just cause you know, you're not going to use up a ton of Austin Dillon uses over the course of the season. So might as well get one here to track where, you know, he's could be competitive and he definitely was. Absolutely. And here's, here's a little bit more impressive stuff on Austin Dillon this weekend that I certainly did not see coming. Austin Dillon turned the fastest lap of this race. Yep. And that lap was 0.11% faster than Kyle Larson's lap. So that's roughly two one hundredths of a second. But here's where things get a little bit nutty. Um, That lap that Austin Dillon turned was a full two tenths faster than the third fastest lap run by his teammate Kyle Busch. Yeah, I mean, damn. (laughs) <laughs> that's a full percentage point that yeah, that's no, i mean yeah that i mean obviously that car was driving real real well obviously austin Dillon has kind of you know made it clear to everybody that he's a really really solid dirt racer um so yeah i mean that's it's awesome that he's able to have a good run like that you know he not really expecting a ton of you know top five runs like that from austin Dillon, where he was just you know straight up all day you know, running top two, top three. Um, you know, I don't think we expect to see that a lot out of him. So seeing it here at Bristol Dirt, I'm sure it's, you know, good for his confidence. It's it's good for that team, for all the work that they're putting in. So yeah, definitely cool to see. Absolutely. And we'll just continue to progress down this list of media lap rankings. Guys, uh, you can find this list over at autoracinganalytics.com under the cup race breakdown section. Um, and all the lap data is there for you as well. Um, but if we progress down a little bit in fourth, we see Chase Briscoe. Um, honestly, I was hoping for more out of Briscoe this week. You could see that he was giving it all he had, obviously a bit injured, um, but a solid run from Briscoe. I just, it looked like he just didn't quite have the car that he was looking for all weekend. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because I think at, at one point he was running down Bell and he was challenging, he was pressuring Bell for the lead. Um, and then Reddick kind of threw a, a slider on him and kind of put him in the wall. I mean, I know the booth was like, oh no, looked like Chase tried to throttle up and drove himself into the wall. I don't know about all that. I think Reddick kind of slid him into the wall a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, you know, nothing intentional happens with dirt racing. Um, but yeah, I mean, once that happened, I don't know if he could have maybe somehow like slightly bent a toe link or picked up some kind of damage because after that he kind of started to fade back a little bit and was towards the end of the race. Um, but yeah, I mean, early on, I think he had to start towards the back. So he wasn't really running 
uh, right at the front early on. But he, he definitely worked his way up there and definitely looked like one of the better cars and looked like he was going to have a shot before he got into the wall there. So, um, yeah, definitely not the day I'm sure that that team was hoping for. I'm sure they were hoping for a win there, um, you know, maybe to win a stage as well. But um, I think still a pretty solid day for Briscoe. Yeah, it was a fifth-place finish when it was all said and done for Chase Briscoe. Uh, the guy that finished in front of him, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and the guy be- that finished behind him, Justin Haley, we will both get to plenty soon enough. Um, but before that, Kyle Busch had the fifth-fastest car, but right behind him, Kyle Larson. Wait, wait, quick. Before we get to Kyle Larson, uh, Chase Briscoe, one thing I noticed about that car I think he was running, at least in the beginning of the race, significantly looser than everybody else. And he was up on the high line way before most of the field when he was trying to work his way to the front. I don't know if you noticed that, but that car just looked way more yawed out than the field. Yeah, yeah, it was him. There there were a couple guys I noticed like that. Like Austin Sindrick, I think, was like that as well early on in the race. I noticed he was really kind of throwing it in sideways. Blaney as well. Um, But yeah, no, you're definitely right about Briscoe on that. Anyway, yeah, let's carry on to Kyle Larson. So Larson, his median lap rank is probably not super reflective um, because of all the issues that he had. Um, Larson was the sixth fastest car, 0.84% off the fastest car, uh, Christopher Bell. I am thoroughly disappointed in Kyle Larson this weekend, and I think it's fair criticism to say that this is in large part his mindset going into the weekend. I I was bothered by the fact that Larson ref- continues to refuse to embrace the NASCAR Bristol dirt race. Um, and I think that that mentality is kind of hindering his ability to just show up and get the job done there. Because let's be honest, there's nobody with more raw talent in this field than Kyle Larson. And I don't think anybody's going to debate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, it's just, it's kind of a, another trend I'm noticing with him that kind of started last year. Um, and Kyle Bush was having similar issues last year where he just keeps having these little mistakes. Like, you know, they'll have good speed. They'll have a good run going. And then, you know, he, the last year, year and a half or so, he's been just making some pretty uncharacteristic mistakes behind the wheel. Like, um, obviously there's the big one at the Indy road course from last year. Uh, you can think back to the Roval as well, where he got into the wall, bent a toe link, just, you know, completely unforced error. Um, here it's spinning after pitting um, after stage two. This was really weird also. He pits um, at the end of stage two and asks to stay on the same set of tires. Uh, meanwhile, Bell stays out at the end of stage two, inherits the lead. And it, that I mean, that was just, that was weird to me. I mean, I don't understand why you would pit not take tires, um, you know, lose all that track position uh, and have to come try to drive up through the field. I'm, I'm sure maybe, you know, I know tire wear wasn't, a, there wasn't a ton of it. And, you know, maybe there was something on that set where the car felt really good for him. Uh, I'm sure he, you know, he had his reasons, but that just seemed like a little, uh, seemed a little odd to me. Um, and then, yeah, you know, that spin just, you know, another you know, somewhat unforced mistake that puts him even farther back in the pack and then he gets into it with Priest. Oh, um, God. I don't, I don't even know what that was about, the beef with Priest. I think Hamlin mentioned this on his podcast this week about how he thinks that Larson isn't 
always the most perfectly respectful racer. And I, I don't know, I think that might be fair criticism, but mm. I, I think that sometimes he, when he doesn't have the car that he wants to have, he just gets very aggressive and just hopes that he can work his way through it with raw talent. And a lot of times he can. And I think that when he gets himself into trouble is when he just doesn't quite have enough to carry the car the way he thinks he he is capable of. And that he, for the most part, is. Mm. Yeah, and I think he also seems like he struggles a lot with his confidence. I mean, you know, he obviously talked about last week having to go back and watch highlights from 2021 to remind himself how good he is. You know, obviously that was, you know, maybe a little bit of a joke or whatever, but it, it seems legitimately true that, you know, when something, when the car is not working right or, you know, something's not going their way, it seems like he kind of gets flustered, loses some confidence, and it, it definitely hurts the way he drives. You know, you can hear it. I've heard it over the radio a lot, like going back to last year too. Um, you know, you just hear Cliff or someone have to kind of remind him, oh, hey, you know, like, come on, stay in it, stay focused, like got a long day, stuff like that. So um, I'm sure, you know, that hurts him too. You know, just when something starts to kind of not go his way and he starts to really, you know, get down on himself and doubt himself a little bit, that's probably a, a lot of what leads to those, um, you know, what seem like mental mistakes. Yeah, I agree. And I want to touch on the tire thing as well, because when he first requested that, I figured that, you know, I, I, I didn't doubt the guy. I'm like, you know, I'm skeptical. It seems strange, but you seem to know dirt racing better than anybody in the field. And it didn't work out. The only thing that I could think of is that maybe, and this is a stretch. I have absolutely nothing to base this off of other than that. I've noticed that sometimes in formula one races that start intermediate tires and they start to wear out that as the track dries up, you want to wear, you want to drive an old intermediate tire because the treads are smaller, but they're still mm. existing. And so I was wondering if maybe that was Larson's kind of train of thought that the track was going to harden up um, and turn into more of a paved type surface the way it did in the first Bristol dirt race. Mm. Um, and that maybe he wanted a more worn tire for that situation. But take that with a massive grain of salt because that is purely speculation on my part. Yeah, no, I honestly, I'm not sure that that certainly could be the case. I know for me, the way I looked at it was just that, you know, obviously different sets of tires, even if they're, you know, supposed to be the same tire, you know, each set kind of has its own characteristics and some sets just kind of work better with the balance of your car than other sets do. And so I just assumed that since there wasn't a lot of tire wear, uh, throughout the day uh, on any given run that maybe this set of tires just felt good on his car um, and he just wanted to stick with that set you know I mean maybe maybe it was just that because I think that was a second set so maybe he just felt something with that second set that he liked and he wanted to stick with and since there wasn't a lot of tire wear just assumed that you know he wouldn't have issues which would make sense to me I'm just more wondering why even come off the track at that point yeah, that's a great question. And your guess is as good as mine. I think that we're both kind of baffled by the situation, but definitely a missed opportunity uh, for Larson this weekend after getting the win just one week ago. Um, a, a tale of two two completely different weeks. Uh, the seventh fastest car was Eric Almarola. Um, yeah, that was unexpected. 
Yeah. Um, where did Eric Amarola even finish in this race? 31st. Yeah. Uh, ben, could you tell me what happened to Eric Amarola? Because that one was not on my expectations. Yeah, um, I'm not going to lie. I don't know where the speed came from. Um, you know, it just seemed like he was, uh, you know, kind of taking the slow and steady approach almost. He, you know, you noticed with him, like his car rarely looked like he was, uh, you know, getting the rear end kicked out at all. You know, that car looked really straight going through the corners. And um, they even commented about it up in the booth. And yeah, I mean, I guess that was kind of his strategy was just to stay out of trouble, take the free track position as it came, as other guys made mistakes, uh, and just try to stay consistent. And, you know, that's the kind of strategy that, like, I don't, it's not really going to win you a lot of races, you know, unless everything kind of falls your way. Um, but it's definitely, you know, if you're going to a place like that where you know that it's somewhere you struggle, it's definitely a good strategy to just kind of get you a good finish, um, you know, kind of stay out of trouble. So, you know, I, obviously, I think he ended up getting spun um, late in the race and I think didn't get a caution for it. Um, so I think that's how he ended up with such a bad finish. But yeah, def I mean, he definitely had speed that I really wasn't expecting him to have. There were two very different approaches to this racetrack. Um, and Eric Almarola certainly took the conservative approach of just keep the car as straight as you can and try and just produce rear grip and get up off the corners. And then the other strategy was to get the thing yawed out and drive it like a dirt car and just make speed through pure willpower. Um, and one guy that if I noticed correctly, tried both of these, uh, started the race on option two and ended the race on option one is the ace fastest car, Ryan Blaney. Um, Ryan Blaney, not much of a dirt racer himself comes from a dirt racing family um, he had a solid run this weekend that wasn't exactly, I thought, in the cards for him. No, yeah, I mean, I remember the first Bristol dirt race, he had a pretty good run in a pretty beat-up car. Um, so, I mean, I think he's, you know, maybe another one of those under-the-radar kind of guys, but, you know, he's obviously not a dirt guy. Um, but, you know, his, his dad was obviously, and I think his uncle as well, um, so, I mean, you know, he, I'm sure he probably understands dirt racing. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously he had some pretty good speed, was up front, um, you know, kind of in like the back end of the top five and, you know, kind of in that fifth to eighth range for a lot of the day um, before kind of getting up into like the top three and then ultimately getting dumped by Chase Briscoe. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, more bad luck for Ryan Blaney. Um, seems like he always, you know, a lot of times runs pretty well, especially relative to the other Penske cars. And then, you know, there's always something, whether it's a pit road issue or some issue on track that seems to keep them from getting a good finish. Yeah, it, he's a strange one, man. And we've talked about this before and we'll continue to talk about, uh, the struggles that Ryan Blaney tends to have as the season goes on. Um, we've got a few, few guys to talk about left for this race. Uh, and then we can touch on this race as a whole yet. And then we will start to get into a few current events in NASCAR and then cap it off with our Richmond preview. The next guy on our list had the ninth fastest car in this race. He had the sixth fastest car in the fourth quarter. And he had the 10th fastest best lap. Um, 
I didn't expect this out of a front row car and certainly not out of this one. Todd Mm-mm. Gilliland getting himself an eighth place finish. He was the first guy to be just over 1% off of the fastest car per median lap rank. Very impressive run from Todd Gilliland that I was not expecting in the slightest. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely didn't see it coming at all. I mean, I know he had run, obviously been running in the truck series the last few years. Um, and so had done some of the dirt races that the truck series have been doing. But yeah, definitely didn't think he was going to have this good a run. He's kind of been on a little stretch of like, I think, top 15 finishes the last, really since Phoenix when he got booted for Zane Smith. Um, ever since then, he's kind of been on a nice little run of top 15s, which is great for him because last year as a rookie, you know, he didn't really show much of anything, which, you know, he was a rookie. So I guess that's not totally unexpected. Um, but it seems like so far this year, he's taken a really, really big jump as a driver. Um, you know, he's, he's looked really good. He's had pretty competitive speed, uh, for what we expect out of those cars. You know, last year it was McDowell. A lot of times it had pretty decent speed. Uh, now it seems like Gilliland's up there with him whenever McDowell's up there. So it's definitely a really good step in the right direction for, for Todd, especially with, you know, all this going on with Zane kind of taking some of his races in that car. Uh, so it's, you know, really good opportunity for him to kind of show his worth as a driver and show that he has some potential still and, you know, maybe get him a full-time opportunity somewhere else. If Zane's going to end up in that 38 car next year, you know, whatever happens. Yeah, I, I think it was a great weekend for Todd Gilliland. Uh, outran his teammate McDowell, who finished 11th and had the 16th fastest car. Um, as for the Zane Smith thing, man, I don't think that Todd Gilliland is competing with Zane Smith. I think that Zane Smith is the shoe-in for that four car. Um, and I think Todd Gilliland needs to focus his efforts on hoping to secure that 10 ride at some point. Um, I think it's a long shot, but I think he can do it if he puts together a few solid seasons here one after another. Yeah, no, that's definitely a possibility. Anyway, we got two guys to go on our list. The next one is future NASCAR Hall of Famer himself, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 10th fastest car per median lap rank. Um, This is a place where we kind of expected Stenhouse to perform pretty well, finished fourth with that car. Um, As far as best lap rank concerns, not really relevant, 18th. Um, But in the fourth quarter, he finds himself in seventh. Uh, Stenhouse just smooth, consistent all weekend. Not the traditional Ricky Stenhouse Jr. usually would have drove in over his head, we'd think. Uh, but no, I think we're seeing a new Ricky Stenhouse, uh, a gritty Ricky Stenhouse that is going to fight tooth and nail uh, to just get what he can out of the car. And he did that this weekend to its fullest. Um, you love to see it out of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Yeah, absolutely. Another one of those under-the-radar dirt guys uh, similar to Austin Dillon. Um, you know, good. That team's been pretty consistently turning out like some pretty solid results. Um, definitely seem like they're at least a step, a step and a half above where that program was last year. Um, so, you know, it's it's good to see for them. You know, I know we were all kind of wondering what they were going to do after winning the Daytona 500, if they were just going to kind of go back to, you know, running in the mid twenties or if they were going to show some legit improvement and, so far, so good for that 47 team. And while we're on the topic of Ricky Stenhouse Jr., I just wanted to bring up uh, his World of Outlaws car, Sheldon Hottenshield, getting a win 
this week in what was one of the most impressive sprint car battles I've seen. Um, I think it was at Lakeside Speedway. I'm sure you saw it in your Twitter feed at some point. A three-way mm-hmm. battle between himself and I, I'm going to be honest. I forgot who the other two guys were, but I believe they it was Macedo and um, was it Macedo and oh, I forget that third guy. But yeah, it sure could have been. Guys, go look it up. Find it somewhere. Uh, I'm sure it's in the World of Outlaws feed somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or, if you look for it, you'll find it pretty easily. Um, but. They got the leaders got to mixing it up in turn one and two. All of a sudden, Hot and Shields squeezing around the outside of turn four, three wide. Uh, he he had it hooked up. He was flying. Uh, he's crazy. You know, I think I think there's a certain kind of driver that like the only way to describe them is is just they're crazy. You know, like mm-hmm. I, we've talked about this before about how drivers have kind of lost an identity of like you know, Dale Earnhardt was the intimidator and Mark Martin raced clean and whatever. Well, I think we can throw a handful of guys into this, into this group. It's Ross Chastain, Ricky Stenhouse, Jr. Sheldon Hottenshield and Santino Ferrucci are all just insane. <laughs> and I think that's perfectly fair. I think they ought to embrace it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big Sheldon Hottenshield guy. I've watched a lot of the, uh, I don't have dirt vision, but I always follow along the, world of outlaws youtube page and so i watch all the highlights from the races once they're posted yeah man he's he's been real good the last couple years um you know waiting to see him take that kind of next big step that carson macedo took recently and start contending for some championships absolutely gotta love some quick world of outlaws talk uh anyway our last guy that we need to talk about for bristol dirt um, then we'll get to moving this show along is another dirt guy, uh, the incredible Volusia modified driver from early this season, Justin Haley. He was absolutely on a roll on the dirt uh, earlier in the year in that modified. Uh, but now back in a cup car, the 12th fastest car per median lap rank. Uh, where did he actually finish this race? I'm not sure. Sixth, I believe. Sixth. There you go. Great run uh, for Justin Haley. Uh, the ninth fastest car per median lap rank, and I am not seeing him jump off the pages in the best lap category. Uh, but quite honestly, I don't feel like that's a a straight up tell in this race. Uh, overall, just a solid run for Justin Haley, but it's kind of exactly what I expected him out expected out of him this weekend. If I'm if I'm being real, yeah, definitely good for that team to get a good result. Um, especially after the way they were whacked by those penalties. Um, I feel like I thought the 31 was going to be a little bit better this year, I think, overall. Um, you know, but honestly, all of Colleague, I kind of thought was going to be a bit better on the ovals this year. Uh, they really kind of haven't been around all that much. Um, but, you know, obviously a good finish for Haley here. Um, you know, maybe this kind of gets them into a little bit of a groove, maybe gives that team a little bit of confidence and can start to see them run a little bit better uh, at some of the other tracks. I agree, man. We talked about this in our preseason playoff predictions episodes that we were really expecting uh, to see colleague make a big jump forward this year. Uh, hopefully something of the track house uh, type, but it just hasn't been the case at all. Uh, they're, they're solid. You know, I think they have made a step forward. It's just not quite maybe as big as what we had been hoping for. And maybe that was foolish of us to expect that that was really a a possibility. Um, But yeah, I'm hoping to see more like this out of Justin Haley 
in the future because I think he's a guy who's got a lot, a lot of potential. Um, and I think colleagues setting themselves up really, really nicely for the future if they mm-hmm. can just continue to improve their cars. You look at the ownership group over there. That's a group of determined guys um, that know what they're doing, that know business, that know racing, um, that are just a, a fun group that create a good team environment. You look at their sponsorship. They're darn good at it. They have no shortage um, in mm-hmm. an era where it seems to be difficult to do. You look at their driver lineup. Man, AJ Allmendinger is a genius hire. I wish somebody would have had him in the Cup Series a couple years earlier. Um, and Justin Haley is a great find as well. Um, especially, I, I myself wasn't as high on him earlier, um, but he has proven to me that he's definitely got a, a big, a very big ceiling. Uh, for Justin Haley. And they've got Chandler Smith tearing it up in the Xfinity series as well. The future yeah. is bright for college racing. Um, but if you don't have anything else to touch on with this Bristol race, there's some there's some current stuff that's not so bright uh, for college racing that, quite yeah. frankly, is ridiculous. Yep, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so if you got nothing else for Bristol, we'll just move straight into that. Uh, college mm-hmm. racing penal- penalty got reduced a little bit. Uh, but they still got a bunch of points taken away, and Hendrick did not. Uh, Colleague Racing had one louver that was modified. Hendrick had eight. Oh, gosh. Uh, where, do, where do I start other than disappointment, I guess? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's tough because, obviously, I think it's pretty safe to say that we all know Colleague Racing was not trying to cheat, right? They, there was one louver modified. I think it's pretty clear that if they were trying to cheat, they were not about to do it for just a single louver on that car. They would have done at least twice or two, right? They would have done both the louvers. It's totally plausible that, like, you know, you'd maybe only try this thing on one car and not the other, like, if they were to do both. I could totally see that because, you know, I've seen that happen, put it that way. Um, but... Yeah, no, the, the fact that it was just one louver on one car, like, they're, they're not trying to cheat. And obviously, they have a different appeals uh, board for their hearing. And so, you know, maybe they just didn't see it the same way that the Hendrick appeals, uh, appeals people saw it. I don't know. Um, it, it's dumb. The, it's dumb, though. It's ridiculous. And I like some of the rule changes NASCAR made kind of in light of all this, um, you know, to give them the power to release the appeals board's reasoning. Um, you know, I, I like the, the language they added where the appeals board, if they agree that a penalty was committed, that they can't wipe out the points like they did with Hendrick, you know, they can only reduce it on a scale unless they rule that uh, that penalty didn't, did not occur. That's the only way they can completely get rid of the, the penalty and they have to get rid of it as a whole. Um, I think that's a really good addition to the rule book. I don't think it was really fair that Hendrick got all their points back. Um, you know, even though they, the appeals panel felt they broke a rule. And even though I still, you know, I still personally don't really think what Hendrick did was all that much in the wrong. Um, but, you know, obviously the two different rulings here is just, you know, it's not fair. Yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, on, literally every point you made from the outcome of the penalty to the rule changes NASCAR has made uh, steps are being made in the right direction, but wow, it's, uh, it's too late, man. This is just, uh, uh it's really disappointing to see it's, it's going to hurt that team 
really, really bad. Uh, and it's a shame. Uh, as, as I understand it, they do get another appeal, but the odds are significantly stacked against them. Um, yep. So we'll just hope that it gets ruled out on round two. And if I'm being honest, I don't think there should be a round two. I think it should be a one and done. Uh, but in this scenario, I'm I'm happy that it's not the way that I would set it up because I think it's still not right. Uh, but we'll see what comes from it. Yeah. Yeah, and someone, I think it was Harvick maybe, it was Harvick and Denny maybe mentioned something about uh, streaming the appeals, well, you know, the, the trial, so to speak, while it's happening. Um, I think that would be a pretty good idea. I don't know that very many people would tune in, um, you know, but I certainly would if I had the time available, you know, in that moment. Um, yeah, very so few he, people are going to tune in, but I mean, what Denny said on his podcast this week that shocked me the most, if you haven't noticed yet, Ben and I both referenced Denny Hamlin an awful lot. And even if yeah. you don't like the guy, you need to go listen to his podcast because the man knows what he's talking about. Like he's a team owner. He's a driver. He's seen a lot at this point. He's been through a lot in his career. He knows a lot about the sport. You need to be listening to actions detrimental. I would be shocked if you're here and you're not listening to it, but if you're not finish this podcast and then go listen to that one, because he knows a lot too. Um, but yeah, one thing Denny brought up is that evidently there's not even like a transcript of the meeting. What is the yeah. deal with that? Yeah, no, that's, that's insane. I mean, like, it's and almost, you can't object to anything the other side says. You get like one chance to defend it. You can't like cut them off and be like, wait, no, that's not true. Like, I just, yeah. I don't know. That seems completely backwards. It sounds like some, uh, freaking high school speech classes level of debate. Like, that's not right. <laughs> Yeah, no. And there was something Denny mentioned um, this week as well, where he said, you know, he had kind of wit he thought he had thrown out too much, too many of his facts and his kind of opening statement um, or his, his first chance, I guess, to, to defend himself and didn't really have a good rebuttal um, once NASCAR kind of said what they said, um, which again, it's just kind of like, that really shouldn't be the case. No, that should not be how it is. And like, I, I, I can't help but admit this, that as I was listening to him say that today, I'm sitting there like, that's the kind of problems I was having in a high school debate class. Not yeah. Highest level of NASCAR. That's ridiculous. Like, we should be smarter than this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can't just let someone be able to go on a especially when i think he said it was i can't remember exactly how the breakdown worked but you basically only got kind of one chance to state your case and you know whoever had gone first maybe got like the final word i think it was like i think yeah. in the first round maybe like the the accused gets the final word and then in the second if there's a second round i think nascar gets the final word it was something like that the way i understood it was nascar comes in they have to prove that the uh that the team or driver is guilty then the driver gets a chance to explain why or to respond to nascar then the then if the committee uh is siding with nascar at that point then hamlin get hamlin or the team or whoever gets a chance to state his case of why he's not guilty and then nascar responds to that and then the committee makes a decision is the way i understood it which mm is quite frankly incredibly simplistic um i think is the only way to put it <laughs> yeah because i mean like them like you don't get a chance to point out all, if if the, if nascar lies 
you know, in their description of what happened, you don't really get much of a chance to be like, hey, wait, like I object. That's not true, right? Yeah. I like I feel like that's a little ridiculous. Like you, I agree. How can you not give them the chance, whether it's the drivers or if it's NASCAR? Like, how do they not get the chance to object and be like, that statement that was just made is not true. This is actually what it is. Like, I just I don't know. I don't really see I agree, how that because like how easy would it be for NASCAR to in their final statement just pull out some blatantly untrue things and the committee believes it and agrees. And then that's the, that's the penalty and it's just done. Like that's not right. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing that the team can do about it. Now, do I think that that would actually happen? Gosh, I sure hope not. I don't think so. But like the fact that that door is left open is just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Yeah. And then the fact that like, you know, they just kind of, they read their decision and then that was it. There was no explanation. Like I didn't realize the people in the room also don't get an explanation. I just figured like, oh, they just don't share it with the public. I didn't realize that like Denny and, you know, the NASCAR representatives that were there also don't get any explanation as to why the appeals panel ruled the way they did. Yeah, and people were really fired up about uh, Hendrick not having, about the team, or about uh, NASCAR not not releasing why Hendrick got their penalty reduced. And I wasn't bothered by that at the time because I figured the reason for it was that colleague had a very similar appeal coming up and they didn't want to influence that. But why is that just the norm that like nobody's getting an explanation now that that is something to get riled up about. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, it's so unfortunate because now all the storylines or a lot of the storylines for this season so far have kind of been dominated by this whole you know, appeals process and, you know, like, oh, how does Hendrick get their points back? And then now colleague doesn't get their points back. And, you know, now we're hearing about how, you know, odd and just kind of, you know, frankly ridiculous the whole appeals process is and how, you know, the appeals members don't even have to share their reasoning. It's just, there's so much like good on track action, stuff like that, that you could be building storylines around. Uh, It's just kind of unfortunate that a lot of it's been dominated by, appeals yeah it's it's unfortunate because we've had a lot of really good racing this year it's been really fun um but there's just a few mucky situations that keep messing things up uh like that um but i don't know i i've aired out my grievances on the colleague penalty uh, unless you have anything else on it um i suppose we can move on to a discussion that you found yourself in on twitter this weekend ben uh what was the question that you were posed this weekend or this week? And let me agree with you resoundingly when you finish. Yeah. So it was basically just, um, you know, dirty mo media posted their thing about, Oh, of these four tracks, like the Chicago street course, LA Coliseum, I think maybe Bristol dirt. And then uh, the Indianapolis road course, you know, which one are you getting rid of? And for me, it's just emphatically, the Indianapolis road course. Like I just, that doesn't need to be there. I don't, we don't need it. You know, like the street course. I mean, that hasn't even happened yet. I don't even know how you can include that. We haven't even seen it. Right. Like I know there's some stuff coming out about, you know, how a lot of people in the city are now kind of feeling like, Oh, I don't know if we want to do this. I think this might've been a mistake. Like, 
whatever. Let, hang right? on, Ben. Let's slow down and do this. Do these one by one. Which track was the first on the list of the four? Okay, so uh, do you mean like the first that I would get rid of? No, the first one you listed. We'll get to Indianapolis last is what I'm saying. Yeah, so it was the Chicago Street Course. Okay, let's start with the Chicago Street Course. Yeah. We haven't even seen it. Why are yeah. we? <laughs> I, I agree that we need less road courses on the schedule. I don't think many people are going to argue with that. But like if NASCAR wants to go try something in a new market, go for it. Go ahead. That's fine. We don't have to have it permanently. Like, oh, people jumping the gun, man. But yeah. go ahead, give us mm. the facts on it. Yeah, no, it's just like, that, I mean, I, that's basically, that summed up how I felt about that even being an option. It was just like, we haven't even seen the race. Like, how are we going to suggest, oh, should this be here next year or not? Or would you like to see this removed from the schedule? It hasn't even been there. So that I wasn't even considering that. Um, but yeah, the next choice was the LA Coliseum, uh, clash race, which like personally, I, I just don't really see a reason to get rid of that. You know, it's, it's right in LA. Uh, it, it draws a, a pretty decent crowd. You definitely get some, uh, some celebrities there, some people that, you know, you don't typically see at a NASCAR race. It's a nice way to kind of open the season, you know, build up some excitement around the season. Um, I really, I don't see a reason why that needs to go away. I mean, I'm sure eventually maybe. I don't disagree. I'd like to see them mix it up a little bit, but like, I'm not like we have to get rid of the clash, you know, like I think it'd be fun to do a stadium race somewhere else. Um, Mm -hmm. But the clash is just a really easy fitting venue for it and it's working. Um, So I, I think one more year of it would be okay. We talked about this on our clash podcast at the beginning of the year that we were kind of ready for them to rotate it. Uh, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean they get need to like get rid of it. You know, they can just put on the same event in a different location. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the clash either, as long as they don't make it a points race. That's where my yes. that's where my complaints come in. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. So what's third on the list then? So third, I I'm pretty sure it was Bristol Dirt. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, like we we just saw a great race. I don't that know. Was so fun. I'm sorry, but I'm gonna pull out the Kyle Kyle Busch quote. If you don't like that kind of racing, don't even watch, man. Like, it, that was fun, objectively. Yeah. I don't care if you don't like that it's not real dirt racing or whatever. Like, it's stock cars on dirt. It's dirt racing. How much more complicated do we need to make this? It was fun. Exactly. Like, so, you know, everybody saw what Jonathan Davenport said about, oh, it's not real dirt racing. That like, was taken out of context. Right. Like, for after he had said a lot of positive things about it and about how he had had fun and how he enjoyed it and would want to do it again, he said, but yeah, it's not like, it, you know, it's not the same as the dirt late model stuff that he does. That's fine. It, like, nobody thought it was. We don't need it to be. You know, Larson's like... It's not oh, even we... supposed to be. It's supposed to be its own thing. That's right. okay. Right. Like, it's okay that this is not. This doesn't look like a World of Outlaws sprint car race or, you know, uh, one of the dirt late model races. Like, that's perfectly fine. We don't need it to be. It's NASCAR. It's a completely different type of car, a completely different racing series. It is perfectly fine. Like, should should NASCAR not run on road courses because our road course races don't look the same as the F1 races? You know, but no, I mean, by that logic, races in NASCAR are fun. Like that, I mean, that's the logic. It, like that's how the logic sounds when, like, Larson says, like, "Oh, these, like, we don't belong on dirt." This and that. like, it, it doesn't need to look like the other dirt cars. It, it really doesn't. 
it can be its own thing. You know, with NASCAR running on dirt, there's a history of NASCAR running on dirt, you know, kind of going back to, to our roots with that. Like, it's really, I don't, I don't understand this discourse about, oh, well, it's not real dirt race. Like, it just comes off as kind of like, oh, okay, so you watch dirt racing, like, you watch the World of Outlaws stuff, and like, you think, oh, you, you're being like a little gatekeepy about it, and you want your dirt racing to look a certain way. Like, I, I'm not about that. I like watching dirt racing, too. Like I said, I keep up with the world of outlaw stuff. I I watch as much dirt racing as I can. Like, but it, it's okay. It doesn't need to look like that. Ben, it's a different thing. An analogy, real quick, and you tell yeah. me if I'm off. Of, you tell me if I'm off by a mile. But yeah. is it kind of the same thing for short track racing fans to look at NASCAR and say, "Oh, they race stock cars on mile and a half and super speedways. Oh, that's not." real stock car racing is that not the same thing as dirt racing fans looking at nascar putting their cars in, on dirt and being like oh that's not real dirt racing like i'm so yeah. i don't see the difference yeah no it's it's very similar thing like we're gonna we're gonna just stick to short tracks like we're just gonna only go to, like we come on like we can't only go to short tracks right it's okay that if we when we go to a mile and a half it, the racing doesn't look the same as it does on like uh you know one of your you know, one third or one quarter mile local tracks. Like that's perfectly fine. You know, it, it's not the same thing. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think that that's was what weird. makes NASCAR so much fun and so special and what makes it one of the best motorsports in the world. I think it has the potential to be the best motorsport in the world is because it has the potential to have the most diverse schedule of anybody. Like who else can put the same cars at Daytona, Circuit of the Americas, Bristol, Kansas, Darlington, and a dirt track and put on good racing at all of them and challenge the drivers across so many disciplines. I think that's what makes NASCAR great. And I want that to be what they work towards is a perfectly diverse schedule that can like really challenge the drivers across the whole season, across a whole wide discipline of racing. Right. And I mean, Jeff Gluck kind of, he pointed this out on his podcast, um, you know, that he doesn't want to see NASCAR kind of get too far away from what it does, right? NASCAR's thing has always been oval racing, and we shouldn't get too far away from that. And I, I 100% get his point, but really, we are nowhere close to getting far away from that. The vast I majority. I, I, I don't think there's a problem. Like, I don't think NASCAR is getting away from their roots or has an issue if right. we scale back the number of road courses to four or five and we stick four dirt races on the schedule uh that still leaves well over what is that two-thirds of the schedule that's all oval racing like mm -hmm. it and it's all the different kinds of oval racing our speedways short tracks and super speedways like we're golden i, I don't i don't know man yeah no i just like I, like you just said, like yeah, I don't want to see NASCAR just kind of you know completely move away from ovals, but we're nowhere close to that. Like it's it's not even close. You know, we're just trying new things, going to new markets. You know, it's okay to switch it up a little bit. You know, Bristol dirt doesn't have to stay forever. You know, it's probably not going to. It's going to change at some point. It's just it's okay. Um, but yeah, no. Going back to this this thing, the last yeah. uh, the last track was the Indy Road Course, which oh my boy, god, here we go, my god. It is so beyond time to just get away from that. Like, like I said, uh, applaud them. I do. I really do. I applaud NASCAR for making the effort uh, and trying to do this because obviously, um, you know, I guess people hadn't been enjoying the Brickyard 400 on the ovals. And yeah, I'll admit that 
some of the races hadn't been great. But to me, before the 550 package became a thing, I was perfectly fine with the racing I saw at the Brickyard 400. I mean, that's just like I know ticket sales maybe weren't great, but like I did not think that racing, you know, from thinking back to like 2015, 16, 17, 18, like kind of in that area, I didn't hate that racing, you know? Like, yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the best race on the schedule or whatever, but I didn't hate it. I really didn't think it was like this, you know, this big deal that we just needed to address right now. Um, and so, yeah, and this road course, like, it's just, I know, I know you're, you're a fan of team chaos me personally i'm not i don't love a ton of chaos you know i don't i don't like a lot of like you know there's a limit to it i'll be honest yeah i would have probably crossed that limit but you know Yeah, yeah like i don't i just i don't want to see things like it's it's fun to see things kind of get thrown at drivers and see how they adapt you know and how the teams can adapt as well so in that aspect, yeah, I do like a little bit of chaos because it's cool to see how the teams can react to something just kind of getting thrown at them. But, you know, I think the Indy Road Course is kind of venturing into an amount that's just kind of like it, it moves away from really even being about, okay, what team can bring the best car, uh, what driver can drive that car to the limit as consistently as possible and, you know, then execute in the race and all this stuff, right? I want to see the driver or the team who does all those things the best be in position to win. Obviously, random things can happen that takes them out of contention every now and then. It's perfectly fine because usually there's another team that did, you know, a lot of those things almost as well, right? But that's what I want to be the main driver of, you know, who finishes well in these races. And when you get a race like the Indy Road Course and you get a late race caution and Everyone goes barreling down into turn one, similarly to how they did in Coda. And it's just, you know, everybody getting shipped. And it's it's just like, I don't need it. Uh, like, it's time to go back to the Oval. You know, give the Oval a shot with the new car. Obviously, the mile and a half racing, um, you know, the Auto Club in Michigan with the two-mile stuff has been pretty good. So let's see what it looks like at Indy, uh, at the Brickyard 400. I'm sure it's... Still probably not going to be like a barn burner. It's not going to be like best race of the year candidate, but that race had a lot of prestige behind it. So I think it's time to bring it back. Those are basically my thoughts. Exactly. Uh, I think I land more on the side of I'm bothered by the fact that they took away the crown jewel that was the Brickyard 400. Even if it had Mm -hmm. been losing some of its luster, it's still Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the road course edition, is just not the same Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And obviously Mm -hmm. there's the issues with the fact that it's a Formula One track and it kind of promotes itself to having just a mess when you stick stock cars on it that can run into each other. Um, But yeah, it's time to go back to the Oval, guys. Uh, It'll, yeah. I, I think I look at that whole list of four tracks and I'm like, you know, it's not that I so much want to get rid of anybody. I just want to tweak some things. And yep. Indy is probably the biggest tweak I want in the the sense that I just want to get rid of the road course and go back to the oval. And Bristol is probably the second biggest tweet in that just give me the Bristol standard edition back and put a dirt race somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's our thoughts on that. That's our fun topic for the week. Let's get into previewing this Martinsville race. Um, And We've got a handful of guys, I think, to look at that are the main favorites for this race. Um, I'll start with one, and you can just fire back with another one, and we'll just go back and forth until we feel we feel like we've covered it. Uh, it we've covered it 
what is what is the word I'm looking for in full? I don't know. There's a different yeah. word. That's we're gonna have to go with that. Yep. Um, first guy on my list. He's hot right now. He ran really fast at uh, at Richmond. Uh, he had the sixth fastest car at Richmond, the fastest car at Martinsville a year ago, and won the fall race. Not too big of a stretch. Christopher Bell is in cont- going to be in contention this weekend. Yep, absolutely. He was definitely on my short list of uh, drivers to contend for the win. Um, yeah, for sure. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on with him? Not at all. Ben, go ahead. Give us your next guy. All right. The number one guy I had on my list um, was William Byron. Good um, call. Yeah, obviously won the Bristol Spring Race, uh, was first in median lap rank. Uh, won Phoenix earlier this year. I believe he was second in median lap rank for that race. Um, and then ran really well at Richmond, obviously, before getting into it with Christopher Bell and was first in median lap rank for Richmond. Um, you know, so all of those races, you know, it's obviously we're talking about the exact same race last year, plus two races uh, at similar-ish tracks with the same aero package. Um, you know, this 2014 has just been really, really fast. Um yeah, I see no reason why he wouldn't be competitive uh, competing for the win this weekend. Yeah, Byron was on my list for sure. Um, I'm kind of concerned that he did bring the 17th fastest car to Martinsville in the spring or in the fall last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I, I think that's going to wind up being an outlier. You know, his his two teammates, Larson and Elliott, both ran well in that race. Um, or they both had fast cars in that race. So I would yep. expect that he will bounce back um and be just fine so the next guy on my list is another obvious one a martinsville master uh from years gone by denny hamlin second fastest car in the martinsville fall race last year uh again the martinsville spring race had some oddities in it so we're going to just exclude that from discussion for hamlin um and then he brought the seventh fastest car to richmond per median lap rank but you and i both argued on that podcast that he may have had the best car in the field um, and just yep. never really got the chance to show it. Uh, Denny Hamlin is probably going to be a good, solid contender this weekend. Yep. The only thing to really watch with this team, just because I, I put it down on my list, um, is just execution. Um, oh. You know, you every say. week, yeah, every week it seems like they're fast, and then they have some sort of issue on pit road, whether it's the crew or Hamlin speeding. Um, so really, uh, like you said, I expect them to contend for the win this year. It could even be a favorite for the win. Uh, this weekend, uh, it's just going to be a matter of them hitting uh, their marks on pit road, really. Yeah, uh, but- I think I think I think now's the time. I'm really looking forward to seeing what this team can do. I I don't know why, but I've got a lot of faith in Denny Hamlin this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Um, Who's next on your list, Ben? Next on my list, that's Kyle Larson. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll hear you out. Yeah, he had the. Uh, fourth in median lap rank in the fall Martinsville race last year. Um, I believe he was first at Phoenix. Uh, it was either him or Byron could all switch them. One of them was first and second. Um, and then obviously won Richmond and was second in median lap rank for Richmond. So I'm trying to base a little bit of this off of uh, some, some data from this year as well. Obviously Larson, Larson traditionally has a little bit of trouble at Martinsville Um and, you know, like we had just talked about with him uh, making those mistakes. Um, but I feel like with this new package, um, the 24 and the 5 have really been kind of the class of the field with uh, this new short track arrow package so far this year. 
And so I feel like that's something that's going to continue. I think probably out of the four people I have on my list, which was Byron, Larson, Bell, and Hamlin, um, I expect Larson to be probably the worst of them. But, you know, if you have Hamlin has an issue, something like that, you know, I think Larson will be running well enough in the top five to be able to contend for the win if one of those other three has an issue. Um, and I think he'll be able to bring home a pretty solid finish. Yeah, I'm not going to count Larson out for a solid finish, but I'm not looking to him for the win. Uh, just because I don't feel like he's in the right space mentally right now. I look at Larson um, when he was dominating in 2020 and he was absolutely unstoppable. And I just don't feel like we see that version of him right now. Mm. Um, I think that we will definitely see that version again very shortly. Don't get me wrong. Larson's not down and out. He will be back. Um, I just think that right now is not necessarily the time. And historically, Martinsville is really, really just not his place. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe this is the week where things get turned around for him. Um, so that's kind of the end of my list. I really only had three guys on it of the guys that I really felt were good contenders. And then I had to dig a little further because there's not a lot of people that are, uh, consistent. So the next guy that I want to give a shout to is Ryan Blaney mm-hmm. um, because Blaney had the third fastest car here in the fall, second fastest car in the spring, both for median lap rank. Here's the thing that concerns me with Ryan Blaney is that Penske team just hasn't had it this year. And I don't know why um, I, I look at a year ago's numbers and I, sh- I should pick him for the win. Like the way I would usually predict races he would be my guy Mm -hmm. but i'm just so put off by his numbers this season that i can't do it um so i'm I'm looking at him to bounce back that penske team this week but it's it's tough it's really tough yeah no absolutely i was i was thinking about mentioning blaney in my list as well um it was just it's a lot like you said the i haven't seen a lot of speed out of the penske cars this year and I'm not really confident in, you know, picking that team for a win. I think obviously, you know, they're certainly capable of having a good run this weekend and, you know, getting a nice solid top five, top 10 and kind of starting to get back on track. But yeah, like you said, the team Penske cars just really haven't been fast um, really anywhere. Um, you know, they were real bad at Phoenix. Uh, they weren't, weren't good at Richmond. So yeah, no, I, I'm definitely not expecting a, a whole lot out of the, the 12 like I feel like I should. Yeah, I'm hopeful, but it's not it's not guaranteed at all. Ben, who else you got on your list of guys to watch this weekend? Uh, I'll be honest, that's pretty much all I had. I really only had Byron Larson, Bell, and Hamlin. And, yep. um, yeah, and when you mentioned Blaney, I remembered him. But, yeah, that's pretty much yeah. all I had. See, and that's why I've kind of moved into the second list of drivers because I feel like it's a very small elite group of guys that can win. So I'm going to real quick rattle off some guys that are kind of in that secondary mix, um, and then we're going to pick our winners, and that'll be the show. So, boys, here's here's who you need to look to. Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace, there's a few things that got me scared about him. Uh, We'll start with the fact that speed-wise, that 23 car has kind of been inconsistent this season. Media lap rank at uh, Richmond was just 19th, but that's a fall Martinsville race. The last time we were at this track, he did have a quick car. It was the seventh fastest car in the field per median lap rank. Another guy to watch out for, Brad Keselowski. 
again, the Fords have struggled, yes, but Kozlowski had the eighth fastest car here uh, in the fall, and uh, he had the tenth, the ninth fastest car at Richmond, obviously ran well at Phoenix as well. I'd look for a solid run out of Kozlowski, probably not a contender for the win. Um, other than that, Kevin Harvick can never take your eyes off that man. Um, mm-hmm. And same, same goes for Ross Chastain, just two guys you can never really count out um, in cup racing anymore. Ben, any comments on those three? And then go ahead and give us who your win pick is this weekend, man. Yeah, I really like that Kevin Harvick pick, um, especially because how good that four team has been this year on the short tracks. Obviously, we know how fast uh, he was at Phoenix. Probably should have won that race. And um, yeah, was... his numbers this year look really, really good. He was fastest at Phoenix. Uh, he had decent speed at Richmond, the fifth fastest car. Uh, the only reason that I don't want to put him in with those guys that can win is because I just didn't see it from him a year ago at this track. But yeah, the potential's certainly there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I definitely I agree with pretty much every everyone else you mentioned there for sure. Um, like you mentioned with the twenty three team, they've been a little bit. They, they've had similar issues to the 11, I think, where they just haven't executed. And, you know, some of it's been drivers, some of it's been crew, obviously. Um, so, yeah, the, I think that team is capable of having a pretty solid run this weekend. They just need to have a clean day uh, and just no big mistakes from either the driver or the pit crew. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, who you got to win this weekend? So, for the win, I'm going with Denny Hamlin. Um I know I said, you know, you have to be a little bit careful with that team, with their execution. Um, But I feel like, you know, I'm stealing this a little bit from Denny's podcast. He's real confident that they're about to go on a run and that they're going to catch fire these next few weeks. And, you know, he he had me believe in it. Um, And obviously he's really, really good at, uh, sorry, Martinsville, not Richmond. Um, So, yeah, I'm picking the 11 car for the win this weekend. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. And now I look really boring because I'm sorry, guys. I, I can't, I can't, I, I can't pick anybody else. My pick was also the 11 car. I'm going with Denny <laughs> Hamlin this weekend. All of positions net has jumped on the Denny Hamlin hype train this weekend. It's, it's hard not to, uh, Bell's kind of enticing Byron. Eh, I don't know. It, I got to go with Denny Hamlin. I can't, I can't pick against the guy, man. He's feeling confident. He's got a fast car there a year ago. He looked really good at Richmond. I just, I can't, I can't go anywhere else. The 11 car to win this weekend, I really think. Um, Yeah, that's our win picks this weekend. Uh, I want to give a cool, actually, I'll save that for the end. Ben, where can the people find you? Yeah, so everyone, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BenAmato24A. Racing season's getting closer and closer. Um, so, you know, follow me there if you want to keep tabs on what I'm doing. Yeah. And if you guys managed to find this podcast without following Twitter, uh, congrats. You're a bunch of legends are really something special. Don't know how you managed. Um, uh, subscribe to this podcast, go over to Twitter, follow AR underscore analytics. That's auto racing analytics on Twitter. There you can also find a link to auto racing analytics.com, which is where you can find all of the data that we talk about in this podcast. You'll see snippets of it posted on Twitter as well. Um, as well as that beautiful graphic of uh the fastest guys in the fourth quarter of the race uh visualized on track um that being said um last week guys so two weeks ago we had our best podcast performance of the whole season last week not quite so good my friends i need you to do us all a favor and share this podcast with all of your friends your family your goldfish your dog whatever you have man 
we're looking to grow this here. The, we were looking for this to be a fun community uh, to talk about NASCAR uh, from a scientific statistic standpoint. Um, so share this around with all your friends, uh, whoever they may be. Uh, ben, final thoughts. Yeah, so my final thought is going to be, uh, I guess it's just going to be a fantasy pick. Um, if you're looking for a value pick for Martinsville this weekend, uh, go with the 17 car of Chris Buescher. Um, I don't have a okay. don't have a lot of strong data on that. I'll be honest, but uh, he looked pretty solid at uh, Richmond. Had some decent speed. I think it was 12th in median lap rank. Um, and yeah, I think the Fords have been a little bit more competitive on the short tracks. RFK has taken a big step this year. So uh, if you're looking for a little bit of a long shot value pick for fantasy, maybe give a look to Chris Busher. Yeah, yeah. So here's the deal. Uh, my Final thought is actually also a long shot pick. Guys, keep your eye out for Corey LaJoy this weekend. I know I talk about him all the time. He's still hanging on in the standings up around that top 20. I haven't actually checked the standings, but I know he can't have fallen that far. Uh, he had the 21st fastest car in the Martinsville fall race. Really nothing to see at Richmond, but we're going to that lower down force package. Corey likes the short tracks, particularly Martinsville. He might be up there this weekend. He might not. I don't have a whole bunch of data to suggest it, but I got just enough uh, to throw it into question. With that being said, thank you all so much for listening. This has been episode 10 of Positions Dead. We'll see y'all later. <laughs>